to this uh, Fuds on Film commentary for Never Say Never Again. Uh, you should already have pressed play on your uh, copy of the Blu-ray or whatever you've happened to be using. If you haven't, go back no. and hit play with our commentary and the European one at the same time. You should be in sync. I'm Nobody's going to admit to owning this on Blu-ray. No. Uh, I am, of course, Scott Morris and I'm joined by Craigiesman. Howdy doody. So, yeah, we've just covered essentially all of the Bond films in our last podcast, so I thought what better way to round it off than look at the black sheep of the family. Never say never again. The very curious history of this one, really. Mm, Very curious history. Of course, it's essentially a remake of Thunderball, thanks to some very strange uh, negotiations and uh, rights issues that went on for decades. Yeah, I, su- I suppose we probably want to talk a little bit about that while the the strains of Lanny Hall or whoever it is are playing as, out here, right? As we Over, see this mysterious gent just jogging along. Somewhat unorthodox uh, opening sequence for a, a Bond film. But then it was obviously trying to set itself apart for uh, for for obvious reasons. I guess so the history of this then, um, in a, a potted sense, is that... Um, Kevin McClory, who was um, who developed the story for Thunderball, uh, the movie with Ian Fleming, um, decided that he am I correct in saying Scott? He decided he had rights to certain story elements, such as um, the name Spectre and the yeah, plot device of nuclear close. weapons and all that kind of thing. Yeah, that and he, he claims he invented Blofeld and all these kind of things. Although it's, it's right. contested depending on who you actually happen to be talking to at the time. So. Yes. I think this, the, the argument is the court case of this started in like 1963 or something, right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, very close to the launch of the franchise, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, after a fashion, he was granted, um, or Kevin McClory was was granted intellectual rights over some of the things he's asked for and shared rights over the others with Ian Fleming. And that allowed him to approach, uh, is it Sony Pictures? Sony, yeah. Um, with the proposal that uh, they produced their own uh, semi-official Bond film um, outside of the Eon canon. And they threw essentially a dump truck of money at Sean Connery to come back. And lo and behold, he did. Yep, so if you were around at the time, you would have the rare treat of seeing both this and Octopussy in the same year. And there's a double whammy. (laughs) (laughs) If we just take on board a love, sorry, I have to say, coming up here, one of the few things I remember about this film, I have not seen it in years, is when he repels in this window, the the stunt guy, as he's about to go in, clearly must smash his legs off the sill, but they cut away just just then to show him coming through the window on the inside. Aye, 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 aye. Here we go, watch this. Yeah. (laughs) He was clearly about to crack his ankles there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, what were we saying? Something about Kevin McClory. Uh, yeah, Sony Pictures produced Oh, this. yeah, no, sorry, the Octopussy thing. Yeah, so it came out about four months after Octopussy, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, for, for briefly it was scheduled to be released at the same time, which mm. would have been a disaster. For yes. But consider that um, Octopussy, which... I think most people who know their Bond films will probably consider to be uh, the nadir of the franchise. Um, still managed to outperform Never Say Never Again at the domestic and international box offices and also on home formats, I believe. <laughs> so there you go. 
there ain't no justice. I mean, I'm not a great fan of this film, but it is quite clearly better than Octopussy. Yes. Because, well, very few things aren't. Yes, it's not Octopussy, and therefore it's better than Octopussy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wasn't the end of McClure's uh, issues as well. He, he tried to get another film made. I think it was Warhead 2000, another Bond film he was trying to pitch, which would have had uh, Timothy Dalton. Uh, fairly close to, that would have been about 2000, 2000 and some, one, 2002, Ooh. something like that, because eventually that court case was wound up when Sony made some kind of deal where Eon, uh, well, it was, t- it was somehow tied into some deal where the rights for Spider-Man got released which let them go off and do Sam Raimi's trilogy, mm. which they apparently thought would be a better bet. And, well, it certainly would have been a better to, uh, bet to reinvigorate the superhero franchises, which have been kicking around for a decade, of the last decade or so, rather than Bond, which had a bit of a troubled history around that time. Yeah. It's only recently come back to a vitality. Yeah, am I right in saying, I think, if... Um if memory serves correctly, uh, late nineties, so I guess around the time of the start of the or the first couple of Brosnan films, Eon um, Eon bought the rights to Never Say Never Again um, outright, yeah. or something like twenty million quid or something like that. Uh, and and if nothing else, when MGM got folded back into uh, hmm. or bought back in, that kind of consolidated all the rights, so there couldn't be any arguments after that point. Yeah. And as it turns out, uh, obviously we're recording this a couple of weeks after Spectre came out in cinemas, and one can one can see what the the long game there might have been, um, because obviously in buying back over the rights here, then once again we are allowed to uh, raise the spectre of Spectre within the official Bond uh, canon. Arguably, they shouldn't have done, but. Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm not convinced the uh, the Spectre fits in with the kind of modern Bond ethos, but it's whether they try and... Yeah. They're, try, they're, they're trying to square a circle that I don't think needed to be squared. So, Well, I saw Spectre this morning, Scott, and broadly speaking, I disagree with yourself and Drew. I suppose we've got, we've got two hours here. We can, I suppose we can talk a little bit about the Bond franchise in general. But oh, yeah. I, I, I get the impression I probably enjoyed Spectre a bit more than you guys, but my overwhelming opinion of it is that it's probably the film that Quantum of Solace should have been. If you were going to introduce nefarious organisations who are underground trying to you know, rule the world, I would rather they've done Spectre then, mm-hmm. rather than try and retcon it and saying, oh no, that was that's a branch of Spectre or a quantum branch mm-hmm. or whatever they were trying to do with this. And yeah. you're desperately trying to shoehorn the plots of the past few films into... Uh, Christopher Waltz's grand plan when plainly it was not (laughs) (laughs) if if they'd mentioned it once in passing I would have let them away with it but they were very quick insistent on the point that that, no this was all planned from the start nope not buying what you're selling Mm. did that kind of taint it kind of heavily for you because I think if you can leave that aside I still feel like it was a pretty good film but I I kind of I, I detected some vitriol in your part in the the last uh, the last podcast, which I couldn't take part in the Bond retrospective. Uh, more or less, as I said, when I when I was watching it, I enjoyed it well enough, apart from that curiously stunted and flat uh, car chase, mm. which was just very poorly executed and had too mm. many silly gags, and just was a terrible misuse of Big Dave Batista. Mm. Um, 
that was the only thing that really annoyed me when watching it, but it's the kind of film, the more I think about it, the more it falls apart. So I I tried not to think about it too much, but I did have mm. that week in which to uh, stew about it. And yeah, it, it, it is not a film that stands up to a great deal of inspection, but not a lot of Bond films actually do. Mm. However, Quantum of, well, maybe even Quantum of Solace, not accepted, but certainly Casino Royale and Spectre, uh, sorry, Skyfall, I felt did. They, they seemed quite internally consistent and kind of worked, whereas this is, Spectre was trying to bring in a, a certain element of, I don't know what you'd say, overarching grand plans, cat stroking kind of thing, which is just a bit too out there for the, which, the franchise has been established. Which ties in incredibly nicely with what's happening on screen right now. Max von Sydow, which I suppose there's been worse people playing Blofeld. Mm. <laughs> Hello, Telly Savas. The beauty of this is he clearly filmed all of his scenes in a single day. Yeah. <laughs> He's on screen a nice for five paycheck. minutes. Good old pseudo. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's a radical departure from his usual type. Playing a villain. <laughs> Who would have thought it? <laughs> it's a cool cat. Look at its little paws there. Look. Boop. Boop. <laughs> It's, it's no stranger to this evil game. I love it. And um, by this point, we've kind of talked over it, but by this point, um, uh, it's become apparent the sort of early... Se- <laughs> there, sorry, there we go, Largo. <laughs> Good old Largo. <laughs> um, uh, by this point, we've already been introduced to some sort of broad kind of comic uh, sensibility in the health, the first health spa sequence there, which um, one of the more jarring elements of this film. Yeah. Yeah. That's a oddly pitched film in many ways. It, it kind of, I guess it's a precursor to many, many perhaps what a lot of critics would have said that these people are over the hill and should not be doing it and it's the same thing I think that pops up in the uh, Brosnan era where MI6 is you know declaring him to be a dinosaur and past it and all that stuff and you kind of get a lot of that throughout this where there's a lot of open hostility to the the whole 007 programme which is dealt with by um, bad puns on Bond's part who I mean look at that here there (laughs) I saw a picture that was uh, going on around at the time where uh the kind of Battle of the Bonds things was illustrated by Time magazine, where it's got a, a picture of, a, well, an illustration of Sean Connery and Roger Moore. I think both look like very old men. <laughs> I thought it was a very cruel, very cruel illustration that he could have put up with. Very strange period in the history of the films. We should probably also note that we've been introduced to the female Bond villain uh, as well at this point. You just saw pushing a wheelchair a minute ago and in the room with Max von Sudov's Blofeld earlier as well. Fatima Blush. <laughs> the more oddly named. Yeah. Bond with, uh, villains, but... With characteristics that were blatantly stolen for GoldenEye, for uh, Xenia on a top. Well, this is the thing, actually. I was thinking about this earlier. I'm glad you touched on that because the whole thing with Fatima Blush is that she's got a very sadomasochistic sensibility but this film seems absolutely terrified to touch on it yeah um it's it's hinted at and i can't remember if it's actually spoken about openly at some point but it's never actually manifested much on screen certainly not enough for you to call it as an audience um and very very odd um 
a real sort of half measure, but definitely something that was picked up on in GoldenEye with Bamka uh, Jansen's uh, Xenia on a top, displaying that sort of proclivity much more openly. <laughs> But overall, a really weird tone to this film. I wonder how much of it's down to Connery himself, because part of the deal with him coming on board um, was that he negotiated with McClory, and not only did he accept the aforementioned dump truck full of money, but uh, (laughs) also he insisted on having sort of a a broad degree of creative control, um, especially over the casting, um, but one would imagine over various other elements as well. And it, it's overall, it's got it's very much got a feel of uh, design by committee. Yeah, well, I mean, the last time we tried this dump truck full of money into Connery's drive approach was mm-hmm. Diamonds Are Forever, which yes. as I mentioned on that podcast is one step away from being an Austin Powers film. Yeah, it is almost as close to self parody as you could possibly get, and this seems essentially the same sort of trick. Mm. Uh, Yes. It, it teeters on the edge. I almost want it just to just to go all in and just say, okay, we're actually going to play this entirely for comic effect and have it a Bond pastiche. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like arguably it might have been more successful at that when um, trying to very much do its own thing instead of being this weird amalgam of ideas and, you yeah. know, concepts that really they probably, if they'd wanted to make the most of this, they should have made a clean break from one way or another. <laughs> Who doesn't want pretty clothes? The character of Fatima Blush, um, played by Barbara. Some that's terrible. Her name's gone right out of my head. Um, Streisand. Yes, played by Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Not the greatest performance uh, we'll ever see from a Bond villain. Speaking of money, the almost uh, I'm sure probably Afro-Cripple tale of where the title came from was uh, Bond Connery having been asked who'd ever play Bond again after Diamonds Ever Ever saying never again. So never say never again would be a obvious play on that if you happen to know that story. But I can imagine very few people did or cared to. Mm. Curiously, that was the that was to play into um, the proposed original ending, which probably let's let's talk about that nearer the end, but yeah. which in itself is a fascinating um, would have been an absolute. Well, I'm not sure how I would have taken it as an audience member, but um, supposed to keep in mind that while all this was going on, that Roger Moore and Sean Connery were actually very good friends, <laughs> and by all accounts, there was no animosity between them as to. The, no, uh, the sort Connery of... clearly didn't want to do it anymore. So, why would he? Why would he care? Mm. Although, very uh, much a battle of the studios, if not the actors. Yeah. Even though I'm sure many of us would prefer Moore not have bothered to take the role of Bond. Yes. Not not a golden age for the franchise, in my humble opinion. No, and we're the we're the Moore generation. Talking about Moore generation, and um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just a shame that all of his films are dreadful, with possible exception of one and a half. Mm. Some high tech gadgets there. Yeah, 
plus five max. <laughs> I love that he would plus run away. Mag. I love that he would run away only <laughs> to stand in clear view. Good <laughs> <laughs> on your bond, San. <laughs> you stealthy like ninja. I mean, let's be honest though, as old as probably Connery was at this point, he's still physically he's still in a lot better shape and much more much more believable in the role than uh, Moore Roger was. Moore. Yeah. That is that is true. And uh, I suppose it it precursors all of our old man action films that we were talking about, so mm. but still you can't help but think this is a, a younger man's game than either Moore or Connery at this mm. point. Absolutely. Certainly for the role intended, but I, I will concede the caveat that, as I did, I think, with the old man action discussion we had, that yeah. I will quite open them at Sean Connery here, at the age he is in this film, is in better physical condition than I am now. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm twice the man Sean Connery is, but only <laughs> by gross body weight. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's pretty gross. You're being tough on yourself there, Scott. Something would say realistic. One and a half. One and a half. <laughs> and I could certainly do with shedding a couple of pounds at this point as well. Yeah. Now here we see, um, we're about to see Pat Roach. Who are kind, <laughs> I suppose, I suppose kind of as an analogue or rather Dave Batista Inspector is kind of an analogue for Pat Roach. Uh, never yeah. say never again. Good old Pat Roach, who was like a professional wrestler, right? I Amongst other he was, things. Uh, before, didn't he go off to do Alfred the Seed Pet? So, I'm thinking of. I forget. I remember. But yeah, there's always been a, a role for these big, largely <laughs> big silent mutes. brutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> big mute brute. <laughs> Pat Bomber Roach. <laughs> Old Bomber. <laughs> Got that name growing up in Northern Ireland for reasons we can only we can only guess at. Well it was Birmingham, so maybe there were six of them, I'm not sure. <laughs> Pat Roach and his five clones. <laughs> yes, Pat Roach. It didn't actually grow up in Northern Ireland, sorry. It's being crass. I love this. This has to be the only film I can think of where someone has attempted to attack someone else with a bull worker. <laughs> oh, there you go. And that's what Pat Roach thinks of your cheap fitness equipment. <laughs> Damn, I'm in a tight spot. It's quite a quite a trope of the Bond movies by this point of having this sort of monolithic, yeah. neolithic character who you can just throw massively weighted objects at and they just laugh it off. Yeah. You go and you'll now punch through a wooden piece of furniture. I do like he's trying to just fence himself in there. It's like, no. Mm. <laughs> you know, the, this is also one of the things that, I've, that annoys me about Thunderball as well. It, it, it basically starts with, well, well, just back up a step, but the whole point of when Bond became this sort of action franchise, I don't know anything at all through the spycraft started really, I think, with Thunderball, where there is no attempt at having any sort of spycraft to set up the plot at all. It's just Bond goes to a spa and stumbles into this plot. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute nonsense. Absolutely really ridiculous. <laughs> I 
But also, I think Thunderball might have been the film, I'm trying to think, it might have been the film that set the precedent of Bond sort of giving up any pretense of uh, subterfuge as well and basically just sort of wandering around telling everybody who he was. Yeah. <laughs> Forth the, the franchise becoming something of a series of interlinked um, action set pieces. Mm. And frankly, to be becoming the worst for it for the most part. It's, uh, mm. it, it's, it, I suppose it's comforting in the same way that I'll happily watch all these uh, comic book superhero movies. They're all very much of a, of a piece. They yeah. all have a very comfortable formula that they're happy to fall. And well, this is just another example of it, I guess. It's always nice to have the occasional comforting film, as long as it's not the only film you watch every year to be your <laughs> you know, annual Bond outing or annual Marvel superhero outing. Then why not? And just while this, um, while this beautifully choreographed uh, sequence is playing <laughs> out. I'm going to check some Amazon reviews. I want to know who the people are who inevitably awarded this five stars in their reviews. It's one of the main things that I've liked about the democratization of opinion. Is there's always someone that will defend anything, regardless of how horrible you think it is. And I know you said on Twitter earlier that all these opinions are valid. I'm not sure some of them are. Some of them appear to be very poorly informed, rational thought-out and just I feel, plain wrong. I feel I made, initially what I, that comment I made on Twitter earlier today, initially I had said the great thing about opinions, and then I changed it to opinions of art, because I think you're right. I think there are opinions and other things um, which can be stated very objectively, whether they're, <laughs> whether they're good opinions or bad. But I feel like, I feel like with art and entertainment, I mean, ridiculous. That's what that's what brought down Pat Roach. That's what startled him. So he's had a pan of hot water in the face, but it was Bond's urine that caused him to stumble backwards into a series of glassware. Um, sorry, I th- I feel I feel like with art and entertainment, we can we can feel like we can make object- objective opinions, but you can't you can't negate the fact that stuff like this. There's always going to be someone to whom it appeals. In that instance, they're entirely justified in saying that it was an enjoyable film. I think you can say that a film um, is... You can objectively call a film a good piece of filmmaking in terms of the craft. You can measure the craft involved and the technique, but I I don't want to say that you can call someone out for enjoying no, it. Uh, there's um, all manner of films that I would say are, are actually badly crafted, but nonetheless, I enjoy them. Um particularly when we end up talking about June if I have my way. And um, it's, a, it's a very bad film on a number of levels, but I still enjoy it for certain reasons. But it's, yeah, I know, I know where you're coming from. At least I think I know where you're coming from. I actually lost you for a bit of that. But um. Brilliant. Uh, an average of four out of five stars amongst Amazon customer reviews. That seems unreasonably high. Oh, the first five-star review I've come across is written in Pigeon English by someone who's gone on to give a sort of full Blu-ray review, including separate separate stanzas for audio, audio quality, picture presentation. 
<laughs> Let's see, who are these five star reviews? Mr. E.G. King said first class film. R. Selwood thinks he was reviewing the postal service offered and stating five stars arrived quickly. Perfect. <laughs> Many thanks. Same for Ray Steele, who said excellent service value for money. Yeah. So maybe Amazon review is not the best for this. <laughs> Robert, who posted on 31st of August of this year, 2015, a little bit more measured in his response. Five stars. It's a James Bond. It doesn't get any better. Uh, fairly sure it does. <laughs> Anthony Smith says, not one of Connery's finest performances. Five stars. <laughs> I found him rather disappointing in this five-star effort. If, if only he performed better, I would have given it five stars. What a floating turd of a movie. Five stars. <laughs> Brilliant. There's a lot of people who will award five stars just for being sort of mildly entertained. I'm going to stop now. This, this, I should have known better. Yeah. This is a futile exercise. Yeah, you're missing all the intrigue here. Oh yes, sorry. There's still this an weird, Yes, this weird plot device by which Spectre are going to get their hands on some nuclear warheads by having someone have, I don't know, a replica of the president's cornea grafted onto their eye or something, and then using that to authorise the payload of some cruise missiles to be switched from dummies to live nuclear warheads, mm. which will then be launched and subsequently recovered from the bottom of the sea. That's either a brilliant plan or massively, massively contrived. <laughs> As I said, the, the Spectre's always gone in for some level of contrivance with their plans, so why should this be an exception? <laughs> As I was saying, my favourite was uh, Diamonds Are Forever, where they get this, uh, they manage to launch a diamond-encrusted satellite. So like if, you have, if you have that much yes. money, you don't need to extort any more from governments. <laughs> no. You've reached a level exactly. where you're launching diamond-encrusted satellites. That should be enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying encrusted as though it was just like an outsider's decoration. Of course, there was a very, a very real physical need for the <laughs> diamonds to be there, at least in terms of the plot. But mm. of course, yes, it was thoroughly yeah. researched and um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah justified. That's, that's one way of putting it. Hyper-realistic there. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm not going to pick on the special effects. Come on. This was 1984. Yeah, was, well, this was Erwin Kirchner just off the back of uh, Empire, wasn't it? Empire Strikes Back. Oh, God, Empire Strikes Back, yeah. What, what a strange career that man has had. I mean, yep. to be honest, I'm not really sure there's much in there that I would recognize other than Empire Strikes um, Back and, of course, Robocop 2. Can I, can I say... Sorry, can I stop you and just say what a massively, massively, ridiculously contrived method of assassinating yeah. someone this is. <laughs> to time throwing a snake into their car at a point where it'll distract them and cause them to run off the road into a house and then to come over to their car. Doesn't she put a bomb in the car or something? Excellent. All going to plan. There are an awful <laughs> lot of elements that have to come together there. And I can't help but feel she would be better served by just throwing the bomb in the car <laughs> instead of the snake. 
That's where you've always gone wrong in life, Craig, though. No artistry. <laughs> well, I was going to say there are those who would subscribe to the theory that, you know, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing with flair. <laughs> but... <laughs> I like to think at this point she should be cackling maniacally and when she gets back to sort of Spectre headquarters she's just you know she she pops down she knocks on the door to both of us you will not believe what happened today I was only pissing about but my god <laughs> Love it. The Americans, of course, here conducting cruise missile tests over populated areas of Britain, as they so mm. often do. <laughs> well, very clandestine. Mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a rudimentary sort of trawling, trawling vessel and, and mount some sort of crazy uh, radar dish on it. It's not pinging enough for my liking. No. <laughs> Hunt for Red October, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all the displays tripped out. <laughs> Sorry, I have a horrible feeling. I'm eating oat cakes here, Scott, as you already know. I have a horrible feeling that I'm holding the microphone too close and it's picking up my munching. I'll fix it in post. Wonderful. <laughs> Isolating the noise of oat cakes being munched. I love it. This is clearly sort of Star Glider on C64 here, which they've uh, they've adapted. <laughs> Oh, look at those wireframes. Uh, I didn't realise uh, the, the radar was plugged into a Vectrex there, but... That's it. Oh dear lord, not more underwater scenes. Yeah, and the underwater sequences of the film being uh, coordinated and uh, directed, I believe, by the same guy who did Thunderball. Yeah. So you can see you can see a pattern developing here. That bit of Thunderball, I mean, you assume at the time, I guess there can't have been many underwater action sequences. It was at least novel, but I mean, mm. ugh, that has not aged well at all. This is, it is a very slow bit of film. <laughs> For the same reason, you don't get yes, the te the tension's somewhat yeah. gone out of it over the years. <clears throat> A fish, you fool. I asked you to get <laughs> missiles. Ah! I'm a skull with a camera. <laughs> There's no reason for that to exist. Just... No. He's on Skype to his mum. What is he doing? Do you, do you think he was trying to convince the government that his cat was the special executive of Spectre? <laughs> <laughs> My God, we're being blackmailed by a cat. I love that everybody in this room is taking a man stroking a cat seriously. <laughs> like, my God, how's that cat throwing his voice? 
That cat sounds a hell of a lot like Max von Sydow. <laughs> What accent is he trying to do? However, <laughs> nuclear weapons, just like your mama used to make. <laughs> it's somewhere between that and I don't know. So, like, it is cod French mixed with cod Mexican or something, isn't it? <laughs> However, it can be avoided if you give me six bottles of San Miguel. <laughs> Oh, the cat's somewhat startled by archive footage of the uh, the Tsar Bomba. I think that one was there. <laughs> The great thing about Edward Fox is that he's rubbish. <laughs> and I am one of the world's biggest fans of The Day of the Jackal. But one of the reasons that movie works so well is that for large swathes of it, Edward Fox keeps his <laughs> mouth shut. <laughs> he's not a natural actor. Wind your neck and yank. <laughs> I must insist you get doing the fiscal and sort it out. <laughs> I fear that might be lost on five of our six <laughs> listeners, Scott. Oh, classic Taggart reference. Never, never. Well, I will say for... um incarnation of Largo is um, now once again in my wonderful preparation and my consumption of cheap beer, I've completely forgotten the gentleman's name It's probably Dave Probably Dave Yeah, that's his name, probably Dave <laughs> An unusual Christian name, I'll grant you but Klaus Maria Brandauer um, actually, in some respects, one of the more effective um, Bond villains, and he's n he's not as big of a caricature as some of them have been. He's just he, he strikes me as actually being just some sort of incredibly wealthy sociopath, <laughs> more than uh, some sort of flamboyant villain who's planning to build his lair inside a volcano. <laughs> that old trope depends what you want from a Bond villain, I suppose. Some some would argue mm. that's the point of one of them. I'm not sure I'm one of them. Um, I've always found that a bit ridiculous, but then mm. again, I don't really come to Bond franchise for my dose of realism. It's, not, it's hardly dogma. No. And there, there have certainly been some very poor attempts at Bond villains over the years. 
said that, it was probably Ben Carson. <laughs> he's a right tit. Been showering. Yes, he's been showering himself in glory these <laughs> last few days. Of course, if you're listening to this during the reign of President Carson. <laughs> well, will anyone be able to listen to anything during that reign? Or will we all be condemned to, well, to the crazy winds? Mining more crazy for him to put into the air. There is a presidential connection, I think. Uh, one of this uh, might be the vessel that Largo's on just now was uh, owned by a Saudi yes. billionaire, which was then sold to Trump, the Trump princess. So yeah. Saudi billionaire arms dealer. Aren't they all? <laughs> <laughs> I love this musical uh, cue. Do you think the not cue? Sorry, soundtrack. was the positioning of this control room uh, intentional, or is this just an, an unexpected benefit that Largo's got here? An <laughs> <laughs> odd one, isn't it? What's great about this is, if I remember correctly, if you turn the soundtrack right up at this point, he does a. He does a lift with Kim Basinger here. Uh, Kim Basinger, who plays Do yeah. uh, Domino. Uh, he does a lift with her. And as he sets her down, have I missed it, actually? I might have missed it already, but as he sets her down, I'm sure you can hear him call her Kim. You know who'd be great in the role of Largo? Tommy Wiseau from The Room. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on which way you want to take the film. My way. It's your way. You're where the highway. a legend and a very shit story. <laughs> also a horrendous piece of jewellery. Bank vault, maybe Largo. <laughs> I'm evil. The sort of patriotism we like to see these days. Mm -hmm. 
You've ruined my high score. (laughs) (laughs) My bonus multiplier's (laughs) gone right out the window. (laughs) You've just cost me a Chivo. You can't get the spare parts. It's all there's a lot of spare parts for a fountain pen slash explosive device. Just like off the shelf. Get them down at quick fit. I don't know, Scott. Some of the stuff you find from China on eBay. Cameras, grenades, and a pressure cooker. <laughs> Looks like a watch, but it tastes like chicken. <laughs> Looks like a watch, but it's actually a three-seater sofa. I'm not doing a Michael kind of fascination, but I think that it would have been better if I had done it. <laughs> I've got two new gadgets for you, Bond. A ruddy great knife and a massive gun. You use one to stab him and the other to shoot him, mind you. Look out, he's got a stabber. It goes with the shooter. If you tape the stabber to the shooter, you will have a stabber that also does the shooting. This is the pinnacle a of British technology. <laughs> Bring it back in one piece. <laughs> I'd like I'd like old Sean to have some Scottish input on the Q branch as well. I've got some ideas of my own Q. This is what I call a Stanley knife sellotape to the top of a claw hammer. <laughs> I call it the uh, problem shoulder. <laughs> if you slash down the wrist it can't be stitched I've got this new technology it's a, it's a stick with two nails in it <laughs> you apply the stick to your enemies <laughs> I've developed a two by sorry, a gun that fires <laughs> a gun that fires rounds which are two by fours with masonry nails through them. I call it the claimer. <laughs> this is uh, Ron Atkinson's character here is just ridiculous yeah, uh, and so out of place. It is such a bad comic yeah. turn. One of those, he must look back on this and cringe. It's a sort of really terrible, lazy parody of, like, colonial era, you know, upper upper class twit echelon things. It's just very poor. (laughs) 
poorly observed. It's poorly uh, executed. It's just, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, poor all round. Just poor. Nigel Small yeah. Fawcett. Nigel, let me show you something Hugh <laughs> Branch just gave me. It looks like a crowbar, but in <laughs> fact, it's a crowbar. <laughs> Dung. Get it up here. Hugh <laughs> Branch has given me this. It's two billiard balls and a shock. What? <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, I was I was trying to get them to swap out the billiard balls for potatoes, because <laughs> then it also doubles as a nice meal. Although it, <clears throat> the potatoes do increase the bruising. <laughs> For, oh, sorry, no, I'm not going to. We're keeping this clean, right? Yes. Relatively clean. Yes. I was going to drop an <laughs> F-bomb there. I was going to put words in Bond's mouth, but actually... Oh, it's quite all right, but just don't do it again or I'll slap <laughs> you senseless. That was certainly a cunning stunt. <laughs> Let me awkwardly and somewhat creepily continue to hold your hand for something like three <laughs> minutes. <laughs> this is entirely normal human behavior. If only I hadn't put my denture cream on my hand. (laughs) We wouldn't be in this godforsaken situation where I'm having to drink with my left hand. I assure you, when they find your body, it will have been abused. It is one of the worst films for bad Bond puns, isn't it? There's so many of them, and none of them are remotely good. (laughs) No, and they don't even go the whole hog. I mean, say what you will about um, Roger Moore, but some of those those were inspired. Mm. They were so, so contrived. That they were just wonderful, whereas here they're all kind of... It's not that they're even half-hearted, they're just terrible. Yeah. Oh, some milk tree advert all of a sudden. What were some of your favourite Bond uh, gags, Scott? Hmm. 
Um, it's hard to say. I, I typically prefer when he's not gagging quite so much. Um, mm. Or when someone when someone throws a gag at him. Yeah. There's not really too many of the one-liners that I actually appreciate that, that Bond comes out with. I will grant you, for, for being in such a terrible film, it's a nice bit of uh, catharsis when, when probably the stupidest Bond villain ending occurs and you do get that line, he's branched <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to go for the inflated opinion of no, himself. No, that, that is too stupid. That is, of course, actually, yes, that is clearly the toughest way to do it. Uh, no, do you have any yourself? Or? I know you're in the, the Bond podcast. Um, you kind of railed on um, the man with the golden gun, but it does have one of my favourite lines, which is when he's at the uh, the guy's yeah gunsmith or whatnot, yeah. the guy who made the golden gun, and uh, he shoots at his crotch and misses by a couple of inches because of the way it's sighted, yeah. and then he tells the guy, right, I'm now aiming two inches above your crotch, so speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> So again, so massively contrived. <laughs> I kind of appreciated that line. <laughs> then there are the, the stunners, which kind of go under the radar some of the time, which actually are absolutely shocking. Um, and whatever um, peeps on Twitter uh, called out. Um, oh, um, you only live twice. Seen the scene in the Japanese spa where. Bond is being um, tended to by... Uh, Be very careful what you say here, because it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, let's not yeah, even go there. It's not a film that is aged sensitively, shall we say. No. Someone's washing his penis, at which point he says, <laughs> don't get soap in my eye, will you? <laughs> I assure you, I assure you in the movie, it's a lot funnier than I've just made it sound. But that had gone way under my radar, so thank you to whoever that was that uh, called that out. I asked asked people for some feedback on that at the point at which I thought I was still going to make that last podcast, and I had one or two suggestions from people for their favourite lines that we could have included, but um, alas, I do not have my notebook handy, so... Film reversal there. Um, <laughs> sharks again. Thunderball. You know, the only outright sort of silly Bond gag that sticks in my mind is actually one of the cubits, and it's in, uh, I don't think it's Goldeneye. Maybe it's Goldeneye, or maybe tomorrow never dies. It's about where they're going around. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. So he picks up a sandwich and says, Don't touch that. What's that, Bond? It's my lunch. It's just it's a silly little bit. I don't oh, oh good, good old Desmond Llewellyn. I think it might also be one of my favourite set bits of Q section where the uh, fella just gets into a, a phone booth and tries to make a call and is, it just inflates inside him and traps him inside it. For, <laughs> which, <laughs> no for no possible reason. reason. This is of no practical use whatsever, Q. You're, no, you're just using no, up your budget. Not an aren't easy you? gadget. An easy gadget to deploy in the field. Imagine the circumstances under Why is which this it would red be. red phone booth in the middle of Kazakhstan? I don't know. 
oh, well, I do need to make a call. So How convenient. <laughs> Clearly, a scene that could be improved by Vuvuzelas. Still part of that era where black people in Bond films existed primarily to provide musical um, distraction. <laughs> Also, isn't Felix in this film African-American? Uh, actually, that's a good call. British Colonial Hotel. Oh, dear. We're so sorry. <laughs> We're sorry for our reign of terror we've inflicted upon you. Mm. We're sorry we massacred your family. Have this nice bed. She likes her bombs, doesn't she? Always the best double look there. I know, I know it was born of a necessity, but come on. No, I think I was reaching for an oatcake. I missed a bit where we first see him wearing it, and it's just, oh, it's tragic. By tragic, you mean glorious. Ron Atkinson really needs to pay for that. <laughs> you know, at whatever point that man's on his deathbed, just as the lights are going out, I hope this is what he remembers. <laughs> I don't know. I still, I still have a soft spot for Ron Atkinson, despite the many horrors he's inflicted upon us. Snickers yeah. adverts. I love it. Bomb blowing up an apartment doesn't interrupt <laughs> coitus. I think of all of us involved in this little podcast enterprise, you probably got the, the biggest affection for Bond, I would say. Is that, I think, reasonably fair to say? You've certainly watched them a lot more than I have, I think. 
Um, yeah, it's always been a thing for me. I've always had a bit of a, an affinity for them. I mean, I'm in a position in my life now where I look back and I do the older movies. And I, I think, I mean, obviously, if we hadn't had the Daniel mm. Craig era, maybe we'd still remember some of them more affectionately, yeah. but it has served to sort of enlarge the flaws, <laughs> many, many flaws of the franchise. But in, it's not that... It's not that it's it's not that the sort of the wrong turns it took as a franchise weren't avoidable because actually those those first couple of Connery films are, are still pretty good and pretty effective. Movies. Oh yeah, I was saying those the first uh, something the first two <laughs> films are still my favourite Bonds. Yeah, yeah. Um, from Russia with Love is probably still right up there with amongst my mm-hmm. favourite. Um, part because Robert Shaw was just such a fantastic villain as Red <laughs> Grant. And there's some really nice beats in there, and there's some sort of it's it's still one of those films where um until the again until the Daniel Craig movies <clears throat> excuse me the character of Bond actually as a as a personality was largely sanitized. Yeah. I know we've we've discussed this before, but I suppose for the sake of this recording, I mean obviously like Bond of the books was never a likable yeah. character. Um, he was a bit of a shit for the most part. Um. The- and obviously some some concessions had to be made there in terms of, you know, the movie adaptation because audiences just aren't going to sit there and, and pay to see an action movie where someone is just that unlikable. But um, those early, those first couple of early uh, Connery movies did sort of make some concession to the sort of the, the ruthless kind of heartless aspect of the character. And we've only really seen that again with, uh, with Daniel Craig. I mean, certainly a, a couple of the, the Brosnan films and... Um, most notably, uh, uh, license to kill with your man. What's his chops? Is his chops? Timothy Dalton. Timothy the, Dalton. The poor, as I said, the most underserved Bond of all. Yeah. Huh? Oh, by by a long, long chalk. Um, I mean, some of those films racked up the body count, but that's not quite the same as the the ruthless, sadistic edge that we saw in those earlier Connery films, and uh, and arguably in a couple of the Danny Craig ones, which is what I appreciated most about about those ones, but. Sorry, what were you going to say, Scott, before I... Um, I think it was going to talk about the, the books, actually, because I've only ever managed mm. stomach reading one of the books, but Bond and... Yeah, that, I don't know, Bond you had your objections to Bond it. Casino Royale <laughs> is so unlikable that... Yeah. Plus, and, uh, I say another one, it is not acceptable to say, oh, I wonder what it would be like with a sweet tang of rape. Sorry, you can't. You just, yeah. No, you're, if you're doing that, you're no longer a hero protagonist. You're you're very much a villain protagonist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you plow if you plow through that, there's there's um, depth to be had to the character, but it's I completely understand where you're coming from. That's, I mean, I'm trying to think when I read when I read Casino Royale, I think I was in high school, and obviously that was something that kind of went under my radar a bit. Um, but now, if I I think if I would go back and read that now, I'd probably have big objections about it, much much as you yourself do. Um, it's not that that. It's not that that sort of sentiment punctuates them frequently, but there's no there's no excusing it even once, I suppose, in terms of okay, what's my relationship to this character on the page going to be? All oh, right, <laughs> I'm just going to, as you entirely understandably came to the conclusion, I just don't want a relationship with them. Full stop. Thank you for your time, Mister Fleming. Which does. Given that he seems to be so intent on making it as though this was, uh, you know, based on 
uh, Fleming's own character and things that he's occurred during the wars. Like, it does make you wonder about mm. the man himself, but... Uh, well, I mean... A lot of people have been cited as influence for Bond, haven't they? And one of Fleming's friends who was a... I don't know if he was a commander in the Navy. I, I, so many things have have done tonight following some cheap beer. Uh, his name escapes me now, but um, his exploits... Uh, the gentleman in question is exploits arguably form probably the, the greater part, but yeah, I suppose some of the more of the espionage elements that were prevalent in the earlier films probably are more to do with Fleming's own personal experience, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the series got to a place pretty quickly where any, any as you, you know, you've already said, any pretense at espionage kind of went out the window and the character of Bond on screen within about Four or five movies has, has arguably got absolutely nothing to do with the bond of the, no, the books. No, um, plainly, and it's not it's it's not that that's necessarily a bad thing because I always hate when people moan about a film not being too close an adaptation of the book. Um, that's because one's a book yes. and one's a film, you <laughs> idiot, and they're completely different mediums. And yeah. the best movie adaptations often are those which uh, take license. Um, where uh. uh you know, a scriptwriter and a director appreciate the source material, but also the fact that it needs to be developed in a different way. And there are certain things that just don't translate as well to film as, as do on the printed page. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is certainly a very different Bond character, though. He's relying almost entirely on charm, where the book's mm. charm is not really a thing <laughs> from what I'd seen. No. He pretty much takes what he wants. He kills when he feels like it. And if the end result is that Great Britain is in a <laughs> better political position as a result, then fantastic. Yeah. And you can't help but feeling that if, if that had been the position of these double O's all along, then it might make a bit more sense as to why frequently, because it comes up multiple times throughout the franchise, you know, MI6 is say, or the higher ups are saying, we need to shut down the double O agents, they're, they're loose cannons, yeah. da, 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 da. whereas in the films you don't really have much justification for it because apart from a bit of um casual sex he's not really done anything of any particular you know moral defect rather yeah. than apart from save the world multiple times from a, a sort yeah. of increasingly whacked out nut jobs yeah and on the occasions in the movies where he has had to go off the grid um it's Generally, because he appreciates the fact that the bureaucracy he would otherwise be beholden to is going to is going to place a great number of people in jeopardy if he can't just crack on with the job at hand. I think, yeah, I mean, arguably Connery here is probably as far away from the character in the books as he's he's yeah. ever been. There's none of the nihilism. There's none of the. I don't know if I'd say narcissism. There's none of that, well, yeah, I'd really say that. There's not really much or any of the kind of killer instinct that Bond has and even Dr. No, the, uh, just that, the mm. cold steeliness of that, of him sitting behind the door with the, the PPK and NASA Smith and Wesson, you've had your six. Bang. You've had your six, yep. I don't need to kill you now, but I've decided I'm going to.
people are very much in the uh, the doldrums of this film, to be honest. There's not a lot happening for a little while. Do you have any uh, particular favourites when we, me and Drew spoke about our favourite Bond film, uh, Bonds at the time? Do you have any, you have any thoughts? Are you with us that Connery is, of course, the definitive Bond, or do you have any other contrary opinions? Connery is Connery is best as a yeah. definitive Bond. I think if you're taking an average reading across any given number of films, then probably Daniel Craig has had the mm. better run. Um, but I think Connery still had all the iconic moments. Um, and at his best in those first couple of films has still given us the closest yeah. portrayal that we've had in the book. I mean, it's strange because when I say Connery's the best Bond, I always really just think of the two Bond films that I really love and they kind of more or less ignore the other ones. Which is, yeah. you know, the first two, of course. Yeah, his, the kudos, the, that's what I mean by the mm-hmm. average, taking an average reading across the Danny Craig films. Because even, I know people have their beef with Quantum of Solace, but I've always felt it was kind of underrated. Yeah. And again, we've, you and I have probably discussed this before, but one of the reasons being, <clears throat> I think, take, taken in the context of the situation yeah, exactly. in which that yeah. film was actually made, where it was essentially of it were basically yeah. made up on the trot. Yeah, it was it was Mark Foster and Danny yeah. Craig making <laughs> it up as they went because of the writer's strike. But there, is, there are moments in that film where we've come closer to that nihilistic yeah. sort of um, petulant murderous bond um, as we've come since uh, from Russia with Love and uh, and Doctor No. Um, and had we had that combined with Spectre, I think you might well be looking at one of the best Bond films. But unfortunately, I mean, Quantum of Solace was just kind of not to be. I, st- I still... I still enjoy it subjectively, if not objectively. I still think it has its moments. Um, I would still place it above almost every other Bond film, to be honest with you. Mm. I mean, anything after, well, certainly all the Moon Eater stuff, there's a whole lot of films that it's just better than. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's disappointing by the standards of the, the rest of the films around it from Danny, Daniel Craig, but yeah. it's still a markedly better film than anything like Ab- any more film. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and one of the one of the films where refreshingly he relies less on seducing women and actually, you know, in, in places <laughs> accepting assistance from yes. strong female characters. Yes. Um, I try to think across the franchise as a whole. I think probably from Russia with Love is still probably my favourite overall. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know you guys, um, you spoke about, I think in the last podcast about how it splits opinion, but... I'm probably in the opposite camp from yourselves with On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, like, I kind of enjoyed that. There are elements of that film that are way, way wrong. Um, I think about the bit that always sticks in my mind is when, um, you know, they're listening to the sort of hypnosis tapes and whatnot, and you've got Telly Savalas talking <laughs> on a hypnosis tape about chickens. Yes. Honestly, <laughs> um, there are weird things with that movie, but I honestly, I, I understand the reasons why... Um, your man was removed from the, the Bond franchise swiftly after that. Not necessarily as much to do with his on-screen portrayal, but um, things that were happening off-camera on set and his behaviour, um, kind of prima donna behaviour necessitated that he be swiftly removed. Um, but otherwise, I think I mean, George Lazenby might have, given given room to breathe, he might not have been the worst Bond. He would certainly, I, I feel like he would have panned out better than Moore. Um you're quite right that Dalton is by far and away the, the least well-served yes. Bonds. As I um, say, the, again, with the, better material, I think he could have been right up there. But I mean, as I mentioned, there's about half of the first film, which is about as good as Bond has ever been. Mm-hmm. The, the first half of um, uh, The Living Daylights, Living Daylights yeah. is really good. And then it 
goes off the rails, but not enough to ruin it. But yeah, license to license to kill just seems as though it's just had all its budget removed or something. It's it's a very very underwhelming film. Uh, and again, it's the sort of script that uh, danger of repeating myself. It would have fit very easily into the modern era and worked quite well. I would have thought. Yeah. However, at the time, it was just trying to be. I don't know, it falls between two stools. It's neither one thing nor the other, and it uh, fails quite miserably in that regard. Yeah, if License to Kill had been Quantum of Solace and it was Danny Craig having thrown his rattle out of the pram over Vesper yeah, and going on this murderous rampage, um, because that's the sort of petulant, immature thing that the bond of the books sort of might have been prone to, then that might have been that might have been better treated. Um, <clears throat> but you're right, um Living Daylights for a good part of that film, it kind of, it kind of was the the reboot the franchise needed ahead yeah. of the Brosnan or the um, or the uh, Danny Craig era, but then it just kind of went wrong. Um, yeah, and a, a real, real shame. Yeah, a real shame, but still a, like markedly better than the than the tail end of the the oh, yeah, era. Holy smoke! And one of my favourite Bond themes. Living daylights. Oh, how, how can you not? Mm-hmm. How can you not love it? Oh no, not this bit. I wish they hadn't brought video games into this at all. But this is the bit that I think when I was younger and I was a Bond fan, and someone had to explain to me. It might even have been, might even have been my mother had to explain to me about never say never again. I'm like, why is this a Bond film? Because it's not a Bond film. And I think the first couple of times I'd seen this film, I probably hadn't seen it all the way through, but this is the sequence that always stuck in my mind, and it's because video games. Yes. <laughs> oh, for the first time, I can totally... I mean, now as an adult, I relate to the character of James... Like, we probably all relate to the character of James Bond in some way or another, and, and uh, you know, in different terms or whatnot, but as a child... <laughs> <laughs> oh, he plays video games! <laughs> This Mr. Bond is an Oculus Rift. <laughs> if you do not block my missile, a finger inside the headset pokes you in the eye. Forward down, no, down course, forward, a, a, heavy punch. Take that, Shoryuken, Largo. He sat at his end of the table going up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, <laughs> A, B, start. Take, take that. Um... Of course, if this had actually been a, a, a serious um, two player at a time, they would have they would have started by arguing over who got the uh, <laughs> the standard Atari joystick and who got the yeah. cruiser. If you let go of the controls with this strange locomotive action I'm making with my hands, you understand the concept of letting go, Mr. Bond. Yes, yes, I understand that quite. uh... Oh, Japan. I pretended to be Japanese once. It was quite racially insensitive of me. But at least I got to hang out with some ninjas, so. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) 
It's not perhaps you didn't explain, it's you didn't <laughs> explain. What I told you was true from a certain point of view. Ah, yes, Mr. Bond, I forgot to mention that if you lose two times in a row, a gun pops out of the table and shoots you in the <laughs> face. How remiss of me. How can the whole value of the United States be less than my mortgage? It's not right. <laughs> they need to recalibrate these scales somewhat. Even adjusting for inflation. Love <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a game that will actually just kill you. <laughs> yeah, it's just playing havoc with my bladder. Oh, I'm trying to prestige here. <laughs> Call of Bond. Danger, Will Robinson. Mr. Bond, perhaps I forgot to mention how careless of me. At random points in the game, it will spray acid in your face. <laughs> At random points in the game, it will place Lego bricks underneath your feet, which you will stand on barefoot. random points, the game will scream the word shark at you. Of course, there is no shark, but I assure you, the effect can be quite startling. Subvert your shark. <laughs> Speaking of sharks, he's like, one more game and he's inserting a game shark cartridge <laughs> under the table. What this is missing is Craig Charles standing just at the side of the table shouting a wooga. <laughs> World $325,000. Bush came to shove, we could probably get a loan from the bank for that. I love that this game is so ill-defined, really, that you can't actually follow the action that's happening. It is absolutely <laughs> empty calories. Random colours, random colours. <laughs> Pain level 93%. <laughs> you are the doctor! <laughs> Stick his hand for the barrel of a gun there, I think. You've beaten me at this, whatever the hell this game is. You have managed to click a number of triangles, and for that... 
$267,000, Scott. That's uh, 60 grand, give or take away from being able to buy the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's crazy. He's got a video game and he's played it. I mean... Bonkers. He's doing markedly better at it than Sean Connery does with this <laughs> apparent tango. <laughs> One can only imagine what Craig Revel Horwood would have to say about this. <laughs> you were stiff. There was no action in the knees. Hmm. Keep your elbows up, darling. Connery can throw a punch better than most other Bonds, but Tango is not his forte. You say he can throw a punch better than anyone else, but um, Lazenby had some crazy haymaker moves, man. That's one way of putting it. Laughable, I would say. I I, I like Lazenby's sort of flailing style. We purposely taught him to fight wrong. Is that what you say? As a distraction <laughs> towards his enemies, they will be bamboozled by his wild flailing motions, and will fall victim <laughs> to his. He fought like um, he fought like one of those sort of humanoid uh, dirigibles that are outside of a car sort of showroom. If you if you had a couple of meat cleavers, not meat cleavers, sorry, meat tenderizers on the end of the arms, like. Blah! Ooh, Lazenby smash. (laughs) You would think at some point they might have said, you know what, this film is, what, two hours and 20 minutes? Maybe maybe we don't need that scene of her coming downstairs because it's stupid and it adds nothing. Yeah. Actually, this entire <laughs> middle act is of little use. He's fought a hundred years. Brilliant. Brilliant. Bravo. (laughs) Ridiculous. There we were saying there's no craft in this (laughs) film at all. No spy craft. The old cigarette gay trick. Of course, if the guy had had any sense about him, he would uh, he would have known that the 
cigar case was completely ineffective without the Wii Remote Plus unit added <laughs> to it. Hmm, is this the only instance of Bond eating fruit? Scraping the barrel for content here, aren't we? <laughs> yes, viewers, write in. What's your favourite Bond fruit moment? <laughs> Have you eaten fruit while watching a Bond film? Please, let us know your opinions. Typical Scotchman, look, he's confused that for a fruit bowl because he's got no concept <laughs> of what fruit actually is. <laughs> This is a very disappointing potato. <laughs> Nowhere near starchy enough. <laughs> I'm not sure I get what that is she's lying in. At first it looked like a pool yes. table and then it turned out to be an actual pool. Hmm. There's a bit of jazz double bass there. Boom, doom, 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 doom. <laughs> yes, this is not a film noted for its soundtrack. And of course, doesn't well, no, be a, a bizarre theme, because theme either. It, yeah, because it's isn't the music, isn't it? Herb Alper and um, <laughs> not Lalo Schifrin, is it? I don't think so. Because Lanny, Lanny, Lanny Hall, who sang the theme tune, is Herb Alper's wife. And they 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 wrote that theme tune. Not sure about the rest of the film, though. Gap in my knowledge. It's. I will say this for it. It's, it's one of the Bond films that has the least, um, or rather, the most underwhelming sort of vehicles involved in chases. And what's she driving? Like a Citroen. She's not making her getaway in a hypercar. It's like a factory no. standard. <laughs> yeah, as a Citroen. Goodness knows what. Oh well, actually, it's got some sort of air take stuff going on in the. I'm not a car guy. I don't know. Those <laughs> look like relatively boring cars to me, even for the time. Yeah. Oh no, the village people. All right, Polly gets the point. <laughs> come by, come by. Come by. <laughs> oh, we successfully into the box there. <laughs> I'm worried that we might be out of, slightly out of sync, Scott. What are you looking at on screen right now? They're just escaping the tunnel. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, I think I might be slightly ahead of you. It'll make very little <laughs> difference. You just press the red button there. Yeah, about three seconds behind, I think. He's engaged turbo boost over there. Yeah, we can live with that. Needless bit of jazz there. <laughs> Another turbo boost over the boats or over the water there. Oh, yeah, this ridiculous sort of... What's the mechanism by which that that door is just shut? Because it's... Um, plot convenience, I would think. Ah. <laughs> uh, again, this is such a stupidly uh, contrived series yeah. of events. <laughs> I simply can't believe there was a boat mash yes. down here. That that didn't seem likely at all. <laughs> I'm being waylaid by a 19th century pirate. What's going on? It's a PVC pirate. <laughs> Good band, that. Good band. I assure you, I'm considerably more concerned by your overacting than I am by your gun. She just starts referring to herself in the third person. Wonder if a lot of spies are allowed to write uh, memoirs. Didn't work out too well for the old spy catcher. So no, thinking that. <laughs> right, just using the one gadget we've given you, which will get you out of this situation.
Shouldn't you have exploded? This is, a, mm, this is a scene I was thinking about when I said to you guys previously that this, there was plenty to talk about in this film. <laughs> well, I'm lost for words. That was stupid. What? I was Roger Moore, I'd have something to say about this. <laughs> it's the smoking shoes, I think, that are the... the, the real... <laughs> yes. What, what, what would Roger Moore have said there, Scott? Hmm. <laughs> It'd probably be something daftly like she got the point or something. Hmm. That's a scenario in which there really should be something. Yeah. If you're going to do something that daft anyway, then why not? Well, I kind of feel like that's such an obvious error that they don't have something. They're probably having the same problem we are, which is like, yeah. Oh, and then he shoots her with a pen and she blows up and then he says, and then he says, oh, what'd you say when someone blows up as a result of being shot by a pen? <laughs> I shot you with a pen. <laughs> Or she barely had time to ink. <laughs> and is mightier than the short. This is a great pen. <laughs> I write my memoirs with this. They'll be explosive. I've left some mints in the oven. Lovely weather we're having. By all means, stick around on my account. Look, it's very difficult to come up with a by pun. Come on. If you ever help me, if you ever try to help me get into a dressing gown again, I'll kill you. <laughs> I'm a grown man. It doesn't look like an expensive bathrobe, does it? No. That's it. Good morning, Mr. Bond. I'm wearing sunglasses indoors. <laughs> I also wear them at night. That would have been a better Bond theme, wouldn't it? Don't be afraid of the guy in shirts. But you should. He's got this killer video game. 
and a couple of nuclear weapons, let's not forget, Scott. It's very easy to forget, isn't it? <laughs> They've not really been mentioned so much for the rest of the film. Really? A whole government? Because it looks like you've got three computers and about, what, seven guys there? If that's all it takes to run a large government, then I think we're massively overpaying in tax. A couple of, a couple of VIC-20s and some part-time staff. And it is a ship. <laughs> yeah. Your oblique musical references are getting pacier, Scott. <laughs> this is our <laughs> secret code. Random we leave it in plain display on pure screens. Albeit surrounded by random alphanumeric characters. Hmm. What can this secret message mean? XBYHGV123, kill them all, kill them all, X by ZPQRT. <laughs> Let me get out my Enigma machine. I wonder why my girlfriend's watching <laughs> porn. I love that music. <laughs> As he desperately tries to find sex music. <laughs> said it was very valuable. You're an easy mark, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> He's got this boat on lease. <laughs> Has he tried to show you a bridge lately? <laughs> Listen, all this talk Largo has of pyramid schemes. <laughs> You can't trust the pyramids either, anyway. They were just built to house grain. <laughs> and we've, got, <laughs> we've come full Ben Carson circle. Yes, yes, we have. They were built by Jacob, you see. <laughs> well, Jacob or Joseph, I forget. 
I think Jacob was one of the crackers. That's right. His pyramid was a massive cracker barrel. (laughs) (laughs) That music, man. It all makes sense if you read it. (laughs) That's the music Ben Carson likes to perform brain surgery to. I've uh, I've come to fix the washing machine. <laughs> oh God, I'm so hot. Do you want me to open a window? <laughs> Bond takes some amusement in this situation. <laughs> Yes, there's an angry man with an axe outside. How bemusing. Well, it's not going to solve the problem, but at least he'll be miffed when he comes back and finds I've taken a shit in his chair. <laughs> It's over, Mr. Bond. You've lost. We detonated the nuclear bombs. Now the world is in chaos. Well, certainly. But you remember that time I took a shit in your chair? <laughs> Look down. Yes, that's right. I left one in your shoe, too. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> You thought you thought you were a chef. You're not chef. I can poo anywhere. <laughs> you thought it was some sort of rudimentary insult. It's not the most practical wedding present, really, is it? It wasn't on our Amazon list. Yeah. I mean, she really needed that set of cutlery. Or a second fondue set. Mm. Well, the slow cooker you saw sitting at Q Branch earlier. Yeah. Sous vide. Was... <laughs> Thank you. 
You see, the steak is perfectly cooked, and one may need only to sear it on either side for some color. <laughs> There's always been a lack of whistling in Bond films. I think that's something that you should pick back up on again. Hmm. Well, they missed a trick by not having Roger Whitaker do one of the uh, themes. (laughs) (laughs) Your eyes only. Roger Whitaker could have done a killer version of that. more entirely needless colour here. (laughs) Or maybe you won't. Remember that time when I shot in your chair? (laughs) (laughs) You can never clean it out entirely. Largo, if you don't kill me, I'll tell you the name of a really good upholsterer. You can work wonders without getting rid of poo. There's a wonderful dry cleaner on Glasgow's south side. <laughs> His name's Barry Scott. <laughs> Let me make my escape with my boombox. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. He promised to cut her throat earlier in the film. He just doesn't follow through. No. No consideration at all. That's a good laser. Hmm. Good British engineering. I love that it's in the clasp and not the actual body of the watch. Hard to see how you'd engineer a functional laser into this. <laughs> into this thin clasp. Uh, some, as I remember it, there's some premium effects work coming up here in a minute. <laughs>
but they've only just realised she's a woman. <laughs> yes. Take a bit more care. It's a nuclear weapon. <laughs> I wonder why that guy jumped through the door and then jumped back towards the door he just came through. This is, I don't understand. Well, make me the right offer and I'll throw in this boombox. <laughs> what currency are they offering up there? Where, where are we again? I've lost track. Af North Africa, I think. Five hundred shekels for Bond's mixtape. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the premium effects work is coming up. You'll believe a horse can fly. <laughs> Arguably not the most appropriate music for this. <laughs> That's twice that guy's knocked someone's gun down as they've been trying to shoot him now. <laughs> Stop it, buddy! <laughs> Trash him! Uh, he absolutely misunderstood the purpose of a gun there. <laughs> as, are, as are these chaps. Here we go, here we go. <laughs> oh, they suddenly remembered how to use their guns. Horse is all right. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> what, what is that that submarine's equipped with? Because it doesn't seem like a... Yeah. <laughs> we keep grenade launchers at the top of... Bolted onto the top of our subs yes. for some reason. They're now... All of our subs... All of our subs fire rockets, don't you know that? It's what they're designed for, somehow. <laughs> they're all inside that submarine, really excited about the fact they finally got to use the rockets. <laughs> and they said it was a waste of money, God damn it! We... It's paid for itself a thousand times over. <laughs> All right, Bond. Rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. This used to be a good rule for people. Now, rah, 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 rah. Love it. His reward. I'd like to buy you lunch at my club. <laughs> I'll buy you a stel- delicatessen in stainless steel. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if we'd get round to that. I wondered if we'd get round to that. <laughs> Point at which this movie, sort of production for this movie, was slated or it went into pre production. Of course, they took the jibe, didn't they, at the start of um, For Your Eyes Only? of <laughs> Dropping an unnamed Blodfeld alike down a chimney from a helicopter. Mm-hmm. One of the most bizarre sequences in the the Bond canon. And I think audiences were largely <laughs> baffled by it at the point. Not least of all due to the line that you just mentioned. I'll buy you a delicatessen in stainless steel. <laughs> Which apparently, Flem- uh, not Fleming, sorry, um... Cubby Broccoli explained in his autobiography, his memoirs. <laughs> I'm not sure there's any reasonable explanation for it. Well, I think it speaks volumes of him as a producer that, in drawing on his own personal experience, he baffled and alienated <laughs> his his audience. Apparently, to do with the fact that. And uh, when he was when he was growing up in New York, um, 
So there was a lot of sort of mafia activity and whatnot. And it's quite common for mafia to pay people off or to buy favour with them by um by buying them a delicatessen, which was seen as a of a status symbol to own a delicatessen. And of course, the highest the highest grade of delicatessen one could hope for would be one with stainless steel worktops. Mm, okay. There you go. <laughs> Not sure you've gauged the uh, the audience there, Cubby, but <laughs> I thought everybody knew that. <laughs> Uncanny impersonation. And what's more, I want to make a point about this fella. <laughs> this. What the hell was his name again? The guy that won the case. Ah! <laughs> what was his name again? McCrory. This McCrory fella. I want to send a clear message about Blofeld without actually making it a clear message. <laughs> we really should get you to channel a couple of Broccoli's opinion on a great many more things in the future. I want to see that son of a bitch strapped on a chimney (laughs) while he talks and babbles incomprehensibly about a delicatessen. (laughs) Box office gold, I tells ya. This is convincing, I'm telling you. I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten that. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't do just to surface and launch them from the top. No, we've got to fire them out in a missile. How practical. Oh, you absolute beauty. I'd forgotten about that. Oh, what a treasure. What a treasure. The new Fallout game's out in a couple of days. I'm really hoping that this isn't it. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't had this much fun since Zardoz. (laughs) Oh, that was remarkable. I'd forgotten about that entirely. That just goes to show a god when the last time I saw this. Man, the things that you let go by when you're a kid. Yes, yes, that the light's just right now. <laughs> Quite remarkable. A naturally occurring fiberglass cave. <laughs> Bet 
barely believable, Mr. Bond, yet here we are. <laughs> yet here we are, viewing it with our own eyes. <laughs> the wonders of nature shall never cease. Now let us try not to walk, <laughs> watch them fall over in a stiff breeze. I checked it on Snopes, <laughs> Mr. Bond, and I assure you it's legit. Follow me down this fiberglass cave to my delicatessen <laughs> in stainless steel. I do not know what this soundstage you are referring to means, Mr. Bond. Else tree? <laughs> oh, I assure you, this is Morocco, Mr. Bond. Don't you see the ancient cave carvings that we've made? I say, I mean, that they made in the past. Not us. We didn't make them. No. <laughs> no, Mr. Bond. I assure you, Mr. Bond, they are absolutely priceless, and this is why you had to sign in at the security <laughs> desk on your way in. Go look at the stealthier. It's like Splinter Cell. I mean, that's, it's more of a siphon yeah, filter vibe. I've just received a picture message from you. <laughs> that's a great picture. That's the one I referred to earlier. Quite cruel. I feel that should be I feel that should be the artwork for this. <laughs> I know you almost forgot about Max Winsado and these guys who have apparently have been sitting in the same room for three days in the same clothes. This has paid as much attention to keeping the tension in this movie as the guide rope. He's, he's, this guy's wondering about thinking it's remarkable what one can achieve with fiberglass. <laughs> Surprisingly well preserved, wouldn't you say? Sweet, sweet like money. He's eating the wrong type of money. <laughs> Do you think it's based? You think it's currency is those chocolate coins you get at Christmas? Yeah, yeah, and like those sheets of sugar <laughs> paper you could get. Thank God, this fiberglass is lighter than actual <laughs> stone. This would be improbable, and it's not for. But realistically, weighted. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad for blind firing. 
Burn all. <laughs> Burn all. <laughs> I, uh, if only there were some water nearby. <laughs> if only that explosive worked, the explosive should work. <laughs> 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 I love that this presumably elite military unit have brought Mac 10s and grease guns with them. <laughs> They're running around with a club off Goldeneye. They've not been able to walk over a proper spawn point yet. And watch it slowly drift away as though it's being anything <laughs> ever so slowly floating off into the distance. Bring about oblivion. <laughs> I remember at the time thinking how innocuous it looked. <laughs> Thank goodness they had the forethought to rig that to collapse if necessary. <laughs> oh yes, I forgot there was a gunfight going on in this room. was quick. Well, well.
Uh, think bike. <laughs> if only had a shark launcher. Yes. I feel they should have learned from Thunderball not to do underwater fights. They never work particularly well. I think, yeah, I feel like the sort of the challenge of it overwhelms them. The sort of the the, yeah. the desire to surmount the challenge negates the actual practical considerations of what's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> What will make a very good cinematic ending will be two people in a muddy, dark environment flailing at each other with a knife for about yes. five minutes before someone cuts Moving their at leg. half speed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with no room for wetty repartee. <laughs> Don't explain foil. to me why that sort of aquajet platform thing is making the same noise as a sort of a supercomputer would in a sixties movie. It <laughs> mm, was quite similar to the radar from earlier, so mm, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Don't now take the opportunity to quickly finish him off or anything, James. No. This Largo fella's got a good deal of foresight, hasn't he? <laughs> the collapsing cave thing. He also duct taped a, a spear gun to the side of his... Oh, but he forgot to check his corners. Yep. She always the woman to get you in the end. The time was loaded. <laughs> and for some reason around, allowed out with the military force for this mission for no adequately yes. explored reason. No. You often take along a civilian to do their dirty work. <laughs> Fair play, Kim Basinger's a bit handy underwater. <laughs> I can't imagine what I would look like if I tried that. <laughs> I, I know if I'd tried that, I'd probably get confused as to which direction up was and then flail about wildly and probably yes. half drown. I feel I would I feel I would appear as someone less photogenic. <laughs> More like a strange stubbled manic uh, manatee. <laughs> Lailing wildly. One time I've attempted to dive into a pool, I managed to completely belly flop. <laughs> Who could this be? Is this a dramatic ending for us to finally leave the cinema? Or is it Mr. Bean again?
Why on earth would he be sneaking <laughs> through the grass? Sorry, Mr. Bond, I'm allergic to pavements. <laughs> Who told him to use that delivery? It's horrible. I know. And there you go, a bit of fourth wall breaking as well. So, oh, of course, what we forgot to speak about was originally it had been mooted that at the end of the film there'd be a scene in the street where someone someone shoulder charges him or or bumps into him in the street and he would turn around and it would be Roger Moore. (laughs) That he would tell him never say never again. That's something that would never happen to the other fellow. <laughs> yes. I'm intrigued by the notion of that and what that would what that would have meant for <laughs> for this duel of the terrible bonds, but this truly is an overwritten song. Well <laughs> forget about long range plans. <laughs> Forget about plans to secure two nuclear missiles. (laughs) Tell your second unit director not to film any scenes underwater. (laughs) They're boring. It looks like everyone's fighting in treacle. To be fair, it's not quite so on the nose as the man with the golden gun. Which the lyrics of which are essentially there's a man with a golden gun, he shoots people, na 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 na. Is it something he's got a massive penis? <laughs> he's compensating for something. <laughs> Don't ever not say never ever when you say never, except ever never again. I mean, I'm not going to do not say no never again. No. But does that mean that you would not not <laughs> say to someone not to never say never again? It's all the same. It's all the same. We've all asked ourselves that at some point. The feel of your eyes on me. Why would someone pull their own eyes out and rest them on uh, Lanny Hall? It's very demanding. It's uncomfortable. Why are you so close to me? What are you doing with your eyes? That's not comfortable at a number of levels. I feel. I feel. <laughs> I feel for Herr Balper now for all his money. He's married to a very sadistic woman. Okay, I'll let you sing the theme to the Bond song. Just give me my <laughs> eyes back. So where do we rate this in the, the, the grand scheme of things, Scott? <sighs> well, I mean, it's solidly amongst the moors, I would say. Uh, very difficult to say that it's worse than a lot of the moor films, but it's uh, solidly in the, the bottom, I don't know, quarter. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would tend to agree. I would tend to agree, and I wish I had something more insightful to say at this point than that. No. But I don't. It's, it is a sad footnote to the Connery era, if you will. It is not something that we that stands up at all to the earlier works. So that's a testimony to what <laughs> what some men will yes. do for cash. 
and um, as we're not being paid any, I suppose at this point, <laughs> we should we should probably call an end to this before we overrun the Indeed. credits. Well, thanks very much for putting up with us. Uh, until next time, I have been Scott Morris. My compadre has been Craig Eastman. Good night, and please do feel free to say yes. never again. <laughs> Ta-ta. <laughs> what a pile of shit. Sh-